Hi, Lee. How are you? I'm doing really well and uh, happy to speak with you today. Yeah, I'm very excited about this. Um, so I came across your interview with Isabella Malvin on the Whose Body Is It podcast, uh, and she just has the most interesting guests uh, all the time. Um, so it's one of my favorites. And But this one was particularly arresting. Your chat with her was particularly um just it just blew me away about your the depth of your um experience and your perceptions and your intuitions then and your experience of growing in growing up in this we can I, i'm going to direct people to isabella's interview with you because you go into it in such detail and it's so fascinating and i highly recommend everyone watch it um, but tell me, you know, where you are and what you do and who you are. Yeah. Um, so, uh, my name is Lee Janet Marshall. I am a, a citizen of the United States. I live in Northern California. I am a biologist by trade and a D-trans individual by life experience. Um, I was, uh, I consider myself born of LGBTQIA plus science. Um, I was the product of artificial insemination, uh, born to a um, bisexual mother and a, a homosexual father. Uh, I've met several of my half siblings through this process and um, a very painful experience of mine was uh, essentially planning on transitioning with my half-sister whom I met through this process and then um, deciding to not go the route of medicalization and surgery myself. Uh, my leading indicator being that I had an extreme eating disorder. Um, so ironically, self-harm was the thing that did prevent me from self-harming even further. And um, oh. I really have um, my sister, on the other hand, did uh, go through with the transition and is living under a different name, different pronouns, and uh, we no longer speak. And that was a very traumatic process for me. Um, yeah. I consider myself a, a friend to humanity and a friend of womankind. I recognize that the alienation from my body couldn't have taken place without early exposure to pornography, without um, yes. a widespread culture that normalizes sexual assault and rape, um, both of which I've experienced. And um, I would say that if I'm an advocate for anything, I'm an advocate for embodiment as the root yes. of all uh, solutions to all of our social ills. Um, I think that currently uh, techno-fascism has succeeded in uh, separating human beings from their experience of being alive and by hijacking our minds with propaganda and with 
chemicals of all sorts and with uh, social programming. Um, Our our only hope is to unite as people to try to confront this um, Leviathan, truly. And if I'm really not sure if we're not already too late on this front, but because I have a deep appreciation for the human spirit, I know that our best comes out in the worst moments um, when we really are confronted with annihilation. So I'm speaking out. um, I'm speaking out publicly using my name um, because I think it's, it's time to, for everyone with any love in their heart to just stand up for what's right and uh, to try to convince other people to not uh, go down this road, especially young people who are extremely yeah. vulnerable and the most targeted for um, disembodied. They're, they're the number one. Yeah, they're the number one target. It's, they, it, it's required that they be broken. Otherwise, yeah. the the nefarious plan will work. Um, just, yes. just to, so you know, sometimes you're kind of going above the frame a bit on your okay. on the on the screen. Um, yeah. So your eyes were cutting off there. Yeah, perfect. Um, so one of the things you said in the interview about porn, it was just, it, the way you said it was so, so perfect. You said that from watching porn at a very young age, you learned that um, men who were sexual retained their personhood, but yeah. women who were acting sexually or were, were being sexual were, were, were animals. And that yeah. just blew me away because... In some ways, what you're saying is so quintessentially contemporary and I don't want to say modern, probably postmodern, but that to me is like one of the most ancient tropes and it's been with us since time immemorial. And it's, it was just so incredible to me to be, for it to be brought to my attention that this insidious idea is creeping, is somehow back. It's back and it's back in the most technologically advanced form but it's right. still this this old this old snake that we can never rid ourselves of that was so right. interesting to me it's it's essentially right. the heart of misogyny yes yes and at the heart of misogyny um and this is my take as a biologist specifically at the heart of misogyny and treating women especially and uh, exclusively as chattel is the concept of population control it's yeah. the popu- it's the concept of eugenics. Yeah. What what r- rulers have known since time immemorial is that if you control the wombs of your population, you control not only the propaganda that gets disseminated, but you control exactly what your society is supposed to be. And Yes. When you target women as um, when you reduce women to animals, you reduce them to their functions for uh, ruling uh, primarily men. And in this case, you have um, not only uh, secured breeding access for the highest echelon of society, um, but you also sow this 
deep cultural sickness of sadomasochism where the men at the top not only get to exploit women for reproducing themselves but also get to exploit women um to torture them uh to exploit every single one of our orifices for sexual pleasure um to violate children um it's it's grotesque but it's also algorithmic which is why technocracy has enveloped it so well right right you know it's in ecology i learned about this you know with women being the functional unit of ecology in a population uh the only uh animals considered ones are reproductively viable women so if you control the reproductively viable women you control your society everything yeah you absolutely do and I, it's actually not just the wombs i think my my husband who grew up in in you know catholic ireland and big family and a very religious conservative place small town um, he said, if you, you know, if you, if you can control the bedroom, you control the population. So it's not just, it, it is, right. it is, I think even more comprehensive than that. It's full sexual behavior. And if you, if you, if you manage right. to control that, then you have a population completely under your spell. And what, right. what that was, uh, what I was used to. Um, and ha- having been a liberal for a long time and uh, raised an atheist in a very, very um, sort of even libertine kind of world, um, I always associated that with the right. Um, and yeah. it's it's been particularly demoralizing and frightening to see it done so much more effectively, actually, than the church ever did it um, yeah. by the left, you know, so-called. And these terms are completely meaningless. I always put that caveat in there. But... Right that's that they they would they would fall squarely on and into among today's left and the that is so fiendishly clever in a sense it's almost like it was done by design because that blinds such a large population of right thinking you know be kind types to yeah. the horror of what's really happening because and you said it's eugenics it is it is eugenics it's 100% eugenics it's it's the sterilization on mass of children and young people. I mean, yeah. you know, I, the numbers, the, the, the exponential growth shows that it will end up being a eugenics process because it's not, it's not a small, it's not a small group of people anymore. This is, it's just completely blown up um, yes. to, yeah, it's to affect almost all kids. I mean, I, yeah. like even in my, in my, among my peers, I mean, I don't live in America anymore and I'm very glad I don't. And I live in a place where it's a little, behind, we're, like, we're about 20 years behind um, in terms of everything. You know, when I first moved here, you see, they st- 10 years ago, they still had video rental stores, you know. So we, we but, but it is here. It's definitely here. It's just not as widely um, ex- embraced by the, the, the population. Um, but my peers in America, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at them on, on Instagram and there's a lot of, they them pronouns for their teenage girls and a lot of yeah. erasure erasure of you know of of the, of the word daughter suddenly they can't call them daughters anymore and i'm just like how are you not seeing this and you can see the pain on their faces and they're trying to be 
proud. They're trying to be allies because their minds have been so thoroughly scrambled and the programming is so thoroughly embedded in them. Um, and right. it's really, a, it's upsetting. Yeah, please. Can I make a quick point back to uh, controlling sexual mores and uh, the control of the womb? I would say that those are uh, disentanglable. They're, they're related to the core. Mm -hmm. And yes. the reason why is because, and this is tying back to the point you're just making, um, there is always intergenerational and epigenetic inheritance of the trauma of sexual assault. And when you mm -hmm. uh, make a widespread attempt to normalize rape and sexual assault, you have granddaughters um, inheriting the, you know, it's like the, the seed for a granddaughter is planted in a grandmother's womb, right? So all of a sudden, yeah. like this is this is why the war is primarily on women um, of all ages, but especially young women because we're so vulnerable. Women are eternal. Uh, we we have yeah. a connection to a long line of women before us, and and because we are born <clears throat> in this. Uh, biological tradition of eternity we inherit the knowledge of the stresses of the world around our mothers around our grandmothers and the sexual assault and rape has been a normal part of of human society since time immemorial it's extremely mm -hmm. there are no taboos against such violence in um, mammalian species. Right. Um, so we, it's, yeah. this is, this is our legacy, this violence. Um, but what, uh, to bring back the inversion of the left and the right in this, um, <clears throat> one of the most important, uh, thinkers that feminist thinkers that I interface with on this subject, um, is uh, Andrea Dworkin and and on pornography okay. she makes a really uh, damning indictment about how the left and the right in the United States collude to perpetuate this hatred of women and they do this through um, basically political gangsterism you have the left which has uh, made uh, women, uh, reduced women to slaves, but under the guise of free speech. These are the pornographers mm -hmm. on the left, uh, the people right. pushing, um, which is where, you know, the left is libertine, is against boundaries. Uh, the left has totally normalized pornography. Uh, I grew up thinking pornography was sexual education. And then I ended up getting sterilized because I was so terrified about the, the possibility of uh, bearing children and feeding them to this world that was just going to, you know, rape and destroy them. That, that really was. The... So it was really traumatizing. Yes. How yeah. old were you when you saw it? Uh, I first saw porn in elementary school 
it was animated and very vulgar and grotesque um, by... On the internet? You saw it on the internet? Well, uh, yes. In later elementary school, the first pornography I was exposed to was um, we would walk to the local library. Um, this was in third grade, and um, there was an, extens an extensive... Um, collection of uh, pornographic anime so um in the library in the library in the school library in the kids section <clears throat> so wait how, sorry how how old are you if what decade are we talking about here uh so third grade was um 2001 wow 2001 yeah. So this whole thing now that they're you know they're discovering these books in libraries of you know drawings of boys giving each other oral sex and boys giving men oral sex that's you you had that in in 20, 20 years ago. Yeah, and and for for me and what's disturbing is that there have there have later than been like if you look up um an anime called Ranma uh, One Half. Uh, this anime is created by a, a very mainstream artist, uh, Rumiko Takahashi. She also did Inuyasha, which was a mainstream show on Cartoon Network. So this is just the context of normalization for this content. Um, Ranma was the basis of this uh, cartoon was gender bending. So uh, a male, uh, a teenage male was uh, fell into a magical pool and uh, turned into a woman. And so every time he is doused with water, he turns into a woman. So the whole show is about his... Um, being, uh, again, when he's turned into a woman, I mean, one, every time he is gender bent, he is, um, it's a wet t-shirt contest. And there's tons of nudity in this comic. And it's all about how um, a man is better at being a woman than um, a real woman who is like this prudish, person who doesn't want to be objectified but this man when he turns into a woman with these you know big titties nipples always sticking out uh shirtless he is always being sexual and so he has more social capital as a woman because he's essentially willing to right. prostitute himself and that's the whole basis of autogynephilia right Right. Is this uh, so? So this was this was in your school library. Uh, yeah. This was in so this the was in local library, which we walked to as okay. a school exercise, right. and literally oh, all of us okay. would go into this corner of the library and just page through there for sexual right. content. Right. Third grade, and then so so, and then it just got worse. Right. So did you find it traumatizing 
at that time, or did the, the, the more egregious content come later and that was traumatizing? Was it all traumatizing or what were there gradations? Um, so here is where I first started to... So by third grade, I was overweight. Um, I had an eating disorder, uh, binge eating at this point because I was dealing with a, a, a family separation trauma, kind of uh, analogous mm -hmm. to a divorce, um, what right. divorced children go through. Um, different circumstances, but similar with the breaking up of a family unit. So I responded to that with overeating. <clears throat> so. I was also an artist since very, very early on, you know, by first grade, I was drawing everything around me. So by third grade, when we were looking at this pornographic anime, I not only um, started objectifying women myself, I, I got all of these how to draw anime books with the help of my mom. All I like, I drew big titty girl after big titty girl over and over and over again. I was really captured by this idea of what a woman is supposed to be just no waist, huge tits, um, total uh, piece of meat for men, for men to right. consume. So, this is also when I started identifying as. Um, more of a boy than a girl because I not only was I um, sexually attracted to this pornography, which was confusing to me as a child, but I was also heterosexual. So I I right. had you know very deep and intense crushes on um, you know I had a a very intense crush on my best uh, guy friend and I was so and and this is a very common theme with um, other uh, gender gender queer women who are heterosexual um, not only was like a bisexuality induced in me from a, a, a feeling of bisexuality by being exposed to porn which made me feel like a boy but then i also was too ugly and too non-girlish to 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 be um even considered a girl uh by this time right. i was fighting with boys um i was really a tomboy and uh socially ostracized by uh my girl peers unless they were freaks like me and right. um, this was also around the time um, my mom had come out to me as a lesbian <clears throat> and was um, beginning to start her first lesbian relationship. And my mom very early on told me about how um, basically there's intergenerational trauma in my family around uh, being a woman and being perceived as not woman enough but then also being told by uh the patriarch of our family that uh you know men just want women to be barefoot and pregnant and so his daughters as a reaction to that you know were 
uh, one is a lawyer and one was a computer science professor, very professional women, uh, very, uh, what is it, second wave feminist, victory of second right. wave feminism women. However, uh, they were both very alienated from their their bodies, uh, right. definitely um, socially ostracized by other women for not conforming to sexist stereotypes, ostracized by men as well. Um, so there was there was a whole complex within my family, and by third grade, it was just perfectly manifested and brought out by porn exposure and consumption. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And I'm assuming then the older you got, the um, more exposure to all kinds of, you know, as, as happens with everyone, yes. you grow up and you, you, you have more interactions with all sorts of sexual yes. experiences in person. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm hearing now from young people online, which of course didn't exist when I was young. Yes. But, um, yes. Um, and that is a and, like that, that, that has accelerated this the most. Yes. Yeah. 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 I can see that. I mean, I remember I was a little kid in the 1980s, so um, very different world. And um, I mean, media was a huge was a huge thing. Television shows and MTV was starting and stuff like that. But um, I mean, I remember just this sense, like this strong sense of um, disgust. I guess. I mean, there there was there was always a fascination around. Like uh, around the ta there was a taboo just of sex because there you know as I was a child and I very very much understood that this was not for me like this was not for me. I remember once I caught my dad my dad took me to the video store in Brooklyn and uh, he went into the there was a little curtained off section where they had the porn videos and he came went in to that and I knew what was in there I mean I didn't know really what was in there but I knew that it was something really naughty and bad and I was furious at him he was in for two seconds and he came out and it was almost like a it was almost like a joke but i was irate and i i wouldn't speak to him for i was just appalled and offended and I, I felt my boundaries had been hugely transgressed and and he was he was sort of like taken aback as i was very close with my dad and he wasn't a pervy person and it was like he was like i was kind of joking and i'm like absolutely not you know like little girl with my my hands on my hips and shake wagging my finger at him and it was just like very strong like this is you do not do that in front of me because i am a child yeah and now it's just like it's insane to me children are naturally conservative they 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 they're conservative and they're they're hierarchical right. but it's like they, they need they, they they should i just don't think they should be exposed to this well right and can i make a quick point about uh children being conservative i sure. think prior to the internet that was more true but really by my generation and and you know my my husband is gen x and he has a completely okay. a completely different relationship with pornography he grew up where it was still um still omnipresent but it was still shameful and right. if exactly. you were if you were whacking off to porn you were a loser if you yeah. were um uh, with your friends looking at porn, y'all were just oh, no. perverts, man. Okay, yeah. so contrast <laughs> with millennials and Gen Z. The main difference is, um, and this is what's 
like my mom had no idea how early I was exposed to pornography and how much it warped my mind and my uh, relationship with my body. Um, we, we all like the peer to peer pressure with um, pornography consumption. I mean, this is why the, the, the hot, the fastest growing bracket of rapists is is now teenage boys and it's that shift of sex offending has occurred because of the internet alone and because of a culture of um peer-to-peer -peer transmission by middle school i mean i told you you know in third grade we were all in the library looking at uh you know titties in by middle school we were every social gathering uh, whether it was mixed sex or single sex, any time there was a computer involved, it was group watching of pornography. It was, it was a group activity yeah. of uh, whether it was girls normalizing this for other girls, um, whether it was, uh, I mean, I've, I've talked to many male friends in my generation that were like, oh yeah, I like, I masturbated with other boys when I was young um, and to, to porn online. And that's just like right. that hijacking of sexuality. And, and so one of the, one of my most painful, and I would say the root of my um, both, uh, you know, rape and sexual assault experiences uh, that happened in college I was groomed for that by um, essentially the normalization of group sex by middle school. So the wow. consuming pornography in a group setting in middle school set me up for um, being naive to uh, orgies in college. I went to the University of California, Santa Cruz, which is notorious for its hippie counterculture bullshit. And um, the, the group sex that I was pressured into destroyed my soul. I mean, it, it, really, wow. it really made me want to die. And um, wow. there was no there was no understanding or culture of accountability. I, I believed it was my fault because I, I you didn't I like didn't it run away. I didn't, um, I didn't know okay. how to recognize the signs until it was too late. And, um, you know, I think that it's really, when, you know, just to like zoom out to the legal framework of how, so why is it that um, legally speaking, we can change the definition of sexual dimorphism to spectral and we can change laws to enable self ID and for men to be in women's prisons and women's shelters and all that. Why is it that we can do that before we can extend the statute of limitations for prosecuting rape? Right. Like Evan Rachel Woods yeah. has have thought about. I mean, it's like, um, it took me 
so many years to understand and put all the pieces together of why I would have experienced such things. But the, the shame and alienation, I mean, that's why after being sexually assaulted, trans seemed like a miracle to me. Um, right. Able to be uh, perceived as a man was a miracle to me. All of a sudden, I was safe. Yeah. All of a sudden, um, yeah. I was in league with rapists. You know, they frat fr frat guys would would nudge me at parties, being like, "Oh yeah, like look at all these drunk ladies," and you know, like invite me to the club. And, and then just because I have a a deep voice, really. And, Oh yeah, I mean, and wearing right. back clothing, yeah, I I fit a lot of uh, misogynistic males' search image for other men because of my stature <laughs> and sense of self. So um, yeah, so I really, really internalized that to be a male was to be a predator, and to be a female is to be prey. And I was preyed upon. Right. And I was a prey animal. And so the what trans enabled me was this this illusion of uh, control over my sexual assault. It it's very similar to uh, the the warped thinking that that grooms victims of sexual assault into pornography and prostitution as an attempt to control the abuse. Right and right. make it empowering right um, that's all that uh the left has normalized the new left yeah do you think like when you're when you're talking about um like going to college and like there was a big big orgy scene like that to me is kind of crazy because like it that was not my experience i mean i went to college in ireland in the 90s maybe i don't know maybe it's different now it, it might well be different now but i mean it just wasn't like, it just was not a thing. Like, nobody was consuming porn. No women were consuming porn. The men probably were secretly, but certainly no women were. And everyone was having relationships of one kind or another and getting their hearts broken and doing dumb shit. And, you know, I mean, we were not goody two-shoes at all, but it was all one-on-one. -on -one. It was all one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah. And it was all private. And do yeah. you think, essentially what's happening is that we've basically made sex no longer private and actually that's um inflicting a huge psychic wound on us all yes yes yeah no and jenny i i'm amazed that um not everyone was raped in college when, when that's someone, incredible someone tells me that they went to undergrad and they just went to class and, and had relationships and stuff. I'm just like, why didn't I go to that school? Wow. That um, is so appalling. It's and it's really affect like, heartbreaking. I can't tell you how much social anxiety I have and how, um, how, how much I've been forced to sacrifice healthy relationship with, peers because I literally fear a social interaction turning into an orgy. Wow. I mean, I can, t I, I can, j I can only imagine, I mean, I can imagine that horror, like I, you know, again, this isn't, it, it, 
So I, I, the, the, the idea of an orgy is something so specific and so niche and really for a very select few who have the ability to transgress very ingrained boundaries. And I don't have that. I've, I, I'm a boundary person. I like boundaries. Um, and I can only imagine as a young woman, especially, I mean, now I would just be preposterous, but, you know, as a young woman, really just feeling like a real kind of revulsion at this and, 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 and a deep a deep sense of discomfort because like to be put in a position where you are f required to do something physically and intimate uh, intimately that is is not something you want to do is i mean obviously the rape part is it's an it's an act of aggression but even just the the being propositioned like i remember being propositioned as a young girl you know starting from no age because that's that's what that's what happens especially i lived in italy and so men were constantly following you around and chasing you and trying to touch you and it was it was a bit it was it was quite a a frightening and full on experience but even being propositioned is it just makes your skin crawl it's so yeah. Um, it's such a deep uh, instinct of ours to maintain our physical space to ourselves. And so, yeah, I can't, I mean, the, the thought of being kind of tricked into something like that, into a, or a situation turning um, and taking that turn, I, I, would have, I would have felt the same way in, in terms of just, I mean, obviously never mind a rape, but in terms of like, this is, this is an upsetting and traumatizing event. I can completely yeah. see that. I mean, I right. think, you know, one of the things I, I wrote about this recently um, about the sexualization of children and how we're teaching them, we're pushing on them. I don't want to say teaching. That's a good term. We're, 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 we're pushing on them. Yeah, we're indoctrinating them with these very advanced sexual acts, very advanced sexual concepts. And yeah. these, these are things that humans need to discover on their own as they mature at their, at their own pace, right? Like I was listening to a podcast and um, it had an ad on it that was a local, it was targeted to my local area and it was yeah. a young woman and it was an ad for Deloitte, the, the global yeah. accounting firm. And it was a young woman saying she loved working at Deloitte because she's pansexual and she's known she was pansexual since she was 13. And I was, I literally drove off the road. I was like, this should be illegal. Like a 13 year old has no business declaring herself pansexual. A 13 year old, like that is, right. that in and of itself is a form of abuse. Yes. Like you shouldn't be aware of these things because you need time to develop your own, your, your psyche and your sexuality in conjunction in a natural fashion. And if when you're an older person, you discover that you're really freaky and you're really into kink, I mean, fine, that's fine. But that is not for a 13 year old. Right. Okay. But here's where the internet comes in. And I'm also going to, I, I truly believe that all kinks um, all fetishes are unprocessed traumas that then yeah. get um, erotically fixated. Yeah, I mean, Charged. maybe yeah. blame my Freudian education for that. Yeah. But I, all yeah. I know is I'm an operator of my own mind, and I did have, um, I did have fetishes develop. I, I had auto phallophilia like um the projecting of uh pretending that i had a male sex organ when i was being sexual 
Why? Because by 13, I did identify as pansexual. I was encouraged by adults online to um, identify this way. And I was also, by 13, addicted to gay anime porn. And, wow. uh, you know, was, was already a porn addict as a 13-year-old girl. girl. They're not... They don't, they don't talk that... to, it, they don't tell adults about this. I mean, like the, this, it's, it's so ingrained, right? And then now you have um, the complete normalization of children being groomed for OnlyFans. Like, and, and that's supposed to oh be empowering. And um, it's all connected. It's all connected. And it's yeah, adults it driving this online. It has to be. I mean, what you just said, that like you were a 13-year-old girl with an addiction to gay anime porn. That has to be unprecedented in human history. I'm going to go out on a limb and it say is. that has never happened before in human history. And right. I mean, but it's happened I, and to I think every male or female to male uh, aspiring or actually transitioning person that I've ever spoken yeah. with. Right. I mean, I, I want to get on the topic of porn because I do want to talk to you about like class and authenticity because that was another thing you talked about that was so interesting. Yes. Um, but I mean, I, the reason I was sort of like being kind of wishy-washy on kink is because, because I believe sex is private and sex should be private. I would put all of the categories of kink in there um, right. you know, anything that it doesn't involve children uh, because it's your business. Right. So I, I would right. no more want it. I would, I would, I would defend, you know, perverts. If we were living in a puritanical world where people were showing up at their doors with pitchforks and dragging them out of the street right. and beating them to death, I right. would defend them, right? Yes. Because if, if if they were doing something in their own privacy in their own home and someone ratted them ratted them out like that, but right. but yeah, I completely agree. And the thought that we celebrate it, I mean, it, perverse is not a strong enough word, and yeah. I just I I can't believe. Dangerous. I mean, it's really it really does. It just seems so satanic. I mean, and I'm an atheist. I've been an atheist. I was yeah. raised an atheist. And I cannot see anything other than Satan in all of this. Like, it's just, it's, it's the most, it's just a wild time to be alive. Um, the root is but, violence and arrogance, which is why yeah. Satan is always invoked. Yes, violence exactly. Yes, exactly. It's the arrogance. And it's the sense of we as humans are, are capable of knowing everything. And it robs us of all mystery and it robs us of all awe and it yeah. robs us of all magic. And the awe in particular, I'm now realizing served a very crucial function. I think there's all like women inspire awe. Women's beauty inspires yes. awe. Women's yeah. sexuality inspires awe and can, for good and evil. Actually, I think, I think they're, yeah. I now understand more why conservatives are sexually conservative. I get it now because I'm looking around and I'm like, okay, the cats, like the, 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 the barn door was left open. Yes. Yeah. The waywardness. Waywardness um, hurts. Yes, it really hurts everyone. It hurts all everyone. of society, actually. Men, um, children. Totally. Um, but, yeah, it's... So, yeah, I forget my, my, my other point was, sorry, my dog is distracting me. He's... Authenticity. <laughs> Authenticity, yes. So that was something you said in the podcast as well. You said that this is a direct attack on the working class, and I love that, yes. and tell me more. Yes. Um, so... The reason why 
uh, you know, we went into such a deep uh, tirade on pornography is because it's it's fundamental function in society is propaganda. Um, this this propaganda is a war on the working class to accelerate us into uselessness. Why? Yes. So when the the glorification of boundarylessness of waywardness is is openly degenerate and it's openly degenerate because it causes pain and suffering yeah. and trauma that immobilizes and people. chaos yes and yeah. chaos so when when workers are fed this line of of pure arrogant violent chaos inducing propaganda uh many people break and many people break mentally i've broken mentally um this is where you've seen a rise in the new left where um you know historically speaking um at the at the turn of the 20th century uh the the working class in america and the working class left was uh you know productive laborers uh you know uh by the by world war ii uh women and people of color were recognized as productive laborers in mass um there was oh, sorry oh sorry one second yes, my son just came home and the dogs have been set up hold it so i'll just edit this out but give me one second i'll be right back okay hey you i'm on i'm doing i'm recording a video track here are you talking with them sorry hold on all good i have uh um they they have um yeah (laughs) they have the day off school tomorrow and uh so he was out in the park with his friend (laughs) and then my dogs get set off come here maxi Sorry, I'll, I'll delete this. Or maybe I won't. Maybe I'll just leave it in. <laughs> no worries. Yes. Oh, hi. How cute. <laughs> yes, she's responding. Oh, my goodness. Oh, well. oh like, did you hear them? Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. Yes. Um, okay. And they're sitting. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, so the productive. Yes. Yes. Okay. So um, we have in, in the Western world, we, we have a... Uh, immense legacy of a um, a strong and uh, proud working class. Yeah. Uh, this legacy is um, responsible for building the middle class. Yeah. Um, this 100%. is the the root of the the healthy aspects of the nuclear family. Um, This working class, the uh, historical working class left has, um, you know, aside from imperialist inputs, built the wealth of the West. There's a a huge legacy of, 
real innovation, real meaning in work. Um, you, uh, this, this left has always been isolationist, has always yeah. been against forever wars, um, has found dignity in uh, building infrastructure. This is what the left has been historically, right? Yes, and socially so conservative. New, yes, socially conservative, exactly. Um, so the new left is this psychologically broken left and broken fundamentally, uh, mentally by technology, by the boundarylessness and chaos of uh, technology as the medium for propaganda dissemination. So yeah. um, the, the new left is obsessed with their own, um, they've fetishized their own uselessness. So you now have concepts coming out yes. such as um, universal basic income, this call for uh, the nanny government to take care of all needs. And um, the, the people who are at the, the activist class at the forefront of making these demands are made up of the most wayward, degenerate people on purpose because it's a essentially dualistic exercise in making workers hate each other. What the yeah. United States does best, um, and I'll speak from personal experience as an American, is uh, divide and conquer through red pill, blue pill dualism. So the culture war is a smokescreen to mask this uh, greater tendency towards accelerating working class uselessness. And once we are all useless, once automation has taken over um, all of the manufacturing jobs, the, the few productive laboring jobs that we have left, um, there will mm -hmm. be nothing to keep us from being shuffled around like chattel. And um, right. the, there's a liberal philosopher, Harari, who's endorsed by um, Barack Obama, Bill Gates, uh, the New York Times, Washington Post, etc. This philosopher um, has written a manifesto called Homo Deus, and he, he argues that the future of technocracy is a marriage between humanity and tech, and marriage on purpose because what he's alluding to is the, um, the sexual nature. Fusion. This, yeah, the sexual nature of this uh, technological assault. And the, yeah. the leading conclusion is that once we have embodied AI citizens that are superior to humans in every way, um, humans will be treated in this new society, in this brave new world, 
like humans treat non-human animals today. And this is just on the leaflet, yeah. the side of the, um, the, you know, summary of his text. If you uh, dig into the book itself, it's extremely alarming and prophetic and um, uh, predicts the, you know, Klaus Schwab's yeah. Great Reset, um, predicts COVID and the authoritarian response therein. Um, uh, yeah. predicts the sex work is work uh, revolutions. Um, it's, yeah. it's, it's scary. This, this is all planned. And, and if yeah, you absolutely. don't believe me, you can just look in both fiction and nonfiction literature over the past century. Yeah. And these plans are explicit. And underlying yeah. these plans is a deep hatred for the um the mundanity of human hard-working human families that just want to live yeah. and create a better world totally I, I mean i think i i sort of arrived at similar conclusions in that like I mean, I live in the United Kingdom, and so we've had a very big welfare state here. And, I, you know, I was very much brought up to really admire the welfare state because uh, it had benefited my family. And, um, you know, my father was the first person in his family to go to university. He came from a very working class uh, family and, and, and neighborhood. And they, you know, his father was a truck driver and his mother was a stay-at-home mom. and. Um, I was the second person to go, so he's the eldest of his siblings, and he, you know, he was the only sibling to go to university, and then I came along and I went, and now my, all my cousins, most of them have gone now, but, I mean, the, it, I feel like the work, so, so the working, so we were taught that the, work, the welfare state was this incredible uh, social service, and I always thought that, and I benefited from it personally, actually, as a single mom, I moved back here when my son was four, because I left my marriage, and it was very helpful to have like a little bit of a security system in place, a little bit of a safety net. Um, but what has become really clear to me in the last 10 years that whilst it has benefited in some ways, um, it's also really broken people. Um, yeah. And having, essentially it's created like what what we, we used to have, we, we used to call Indian reservations, but yes. for, just for working class people. And it's yes. induced hopelessness and pointlessness yep. into their existence, yes. uh, especially the men. Um, yes. And because the men were the providers and the women were the, matri were, were the, were the, the, yep. the, the rulers in the home. And yes. that was completely upended and mix in lots of, you know, alcoholism and drug addiction. And you have what is essentially an entire class of useless, non-functioning, broken people. And, yes. you know, I mean, in this town where we live, um, there's a big housing estate. Yes, yes, but also Lowe's. Um, yeah. the, there's a, there was a, there's a huge housing estate and it's literally like behind walls, you know, it's like behind walls and, uh, and the, the pharmacy that's near this housing estate is the busiest pharmacy I've ever been to in my life. It takes forever and everyone's walking in there and, you know, these, these women who are probably 30, but they look like they're 60, you know, they, they, they have, they have huge health problems. There's a huge 
drain on the medical system because they're, 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 they need their prescriptions. They're, they're very, very unwell. And they, they're housed in this fenced off area. And there's a meatpacking plant nearby. And they import working class men and women from Bulgaria to work in the meatpacking district, in the meatpacking plant. And that, that to me was sort of like globalism and the welfare yes. state just completely encapsulated. No harm to the Bulgarians coming and, you know, doing the hardest form of labor there is. But it was very uh, sort of it, it, it's very sad to see that the Irish working class are not capable of working like they, they literally are not capable of it. Like yes. so many in, in such in such numbers. So they have to bring people over and they're, of course, then they're more vulnerable and they don't they're more easily exploited, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Exactly. So it's this is and, and the whole town is very down market because of that. Like they, they it's yeah. economically it's, it's 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 very depressed. And it's ugly and it's, it's not it's not a nice place to be. And this is part of it right now. I mean, it seems to me that like in, in some place like America and in England, which used to have such a huge, you know, robust and powerful working class, that they that those people are the people who that created the wealth within capitalism. Right. Yes. Capitalism and the working class working together created unparalleled wealth. Yes. That wealth has then gone on to create deep alienation and indulgence. And yes. we, as someone like me who wrote, my family became, we, we ascended the social, socioeconomic ladder. I started to, and so I just assumed all of these left-wing values and these left-wing positions. And, and then I started to notice, actually that's, you, you're, this is a different animal altogether. So the, the left has yeah. nothing to do with the working class anymore, except to right. either fetishize them or um, belittle them. Yeah. Absolutely. Are useless. I mean, this sounds very cruel. I don't mean, I don't believe that they are, but that, 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 that's what they seem to be turned into in society. So we have this incredibly self-indulgent, um, spoiled and morally bankrupt yes. left at, that is, um, that, that they, 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 all of their positions are so anathema to an actual working class person that they, yes. they, they can't they, they can't claim to represent them anymore, whether it's on illegal immigration or transing or whatever. Like right. the, the 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 loathing for the taste and the culture of the working class person is yes. is the is the entire it pervades the entire left. Like the the sense of humor and the bawdiness and the rowdiness yes. and the fighting and the drinking. All of those things are entirely verboten. So now, yes. the, the, added to the economic deprivation and the physical ailments, they have a crushing sort of cultural genocide. I, have, I call it a cultural yes. genocide because, as far yes. as I can, as, as far as I'm concerned, that is not hyperbolic. Because it's everything not. that the, the, the working class does needs to be belittled, mocked, and ultimately de destroyed. Um, yes. And you know, it's so clear to me, like the Kyle Rittenhouse case, um, just, the, just the other week, some extinction rebellion person um, uh, attacked a game of dar uh, pool or darts or something. You know, it's like everything that the working class loves must be destroyed as far as the left goes. And yet they continue yes. to crow about how they're defending the little guy. Right. But that this is where this is where the green movement has come in. And I'm going to speak to my academic experience uh, being uh, trained as Please. a biologist and ecologist. Um, 
what the new left has done is, you know, part of this both fetishizing uselessness, but then uh, uh, denigrating it as well. Um, that that dualistic arm when it comes to the welfare state and its um, its side effects. The the underlying theme is Malthusianism. These yes. people want a drastic reduction in the human population. They treat that as the ultimate good. So what the new left has done, um, you know, the old left has always, you know, stuck up for the underdog, right? Well, the new underdog in the new left that underpins this uh, degrowth agenda, the Malthusian agenda, the depopulation agenda. The little guy now is planet Earth. The little guy now ah, is, yes, that's very is all of the uh, is is all of the species that are um, cows swept into this uh, mass extinction event. Uh, the the new uh, little guy is um is climate it's it's these giant untenable concepts that uh can right. be swept into an apocalyptic narrative and and they ultimately want uh the working yes. class to embrace uh this apocalyptic narrative which uh is a it's it's an inversion also of the because everything is is a balk against religious conservatism right and the the apocalyptic narratives of all of the world religions especially christianity this climate uh obsession um and i'm not going to say that uh climate change and anthropocene are unreal and wholly um, unsupported by evidence, but I also understand the way statistical analysis works. I understand that all models right. are wrong and some are useful. And I also understand that industry drives the academy and uh, ensures right. which labs get funding. Everyone in my cohort of graduate students put a blurb in how they think climate change affected their system of study uh, within the conclusions of their master's theses, including myself, right? So we're all being, um, the, the greatest weakness of science is confirmation bias. And instead of uh now we've we've normalized with this new left we've normalized activism in the academy and once that happened we have we really let the reins off of this the four horses of the apocalypse but they're all confirmation bias related and uh wow. this this self-serving tendency, this egotistical self-serving tendency to observe what you plan to observe in the world is at the heart of um, the trust the science movement, the trust the experts movement. And when you're trusting these experts, 
you can very easily be manipulated into uh, perpetuating the culture of confirmation bias itself. And that's pretty much right. what everyone I went to school with learned to do, which has accelerated our uselessness because we are no longer right. trained to be critically thinking and heretical and principled right. in our pursuit of knowledge. No, instead, we are all politicized as scientists. Right. And that is extremely wow. dangerous. And the public does not understand how deep this problem goes, how, how deep, how That's... deeply poisoned the academy is and how deeply uh, captured the media is when it comes to uh, popular explanations of uh, scientific findings, which are literally, uh, you know, 99% of which are, are paywalled and will never be seen by uh, regular working class people. Right. Right. That is absolutely fascinating. That is really, really, really interesting. And it certainly confirms you know, the, the evidence that I, you know, that just, just my observations and my intuitions about, uh, you know, I mean, basically with the trans thing, it, it, it's, it's, it, in, in a certain sense, it's been a positive development in that it's been, it, it's, it, it's incredibly, it's impossible to have any illusions um, that the system is working in any way uh, when you see children yeah. being told that they can change their sex and they should change their sex yeah. and 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 men being put in women's prisons and men being yeah. put in women's homeless shelters i mean it's literally it's so clarifying it's so very clarifying yes. um and so and when to defend themselves they 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 cite science then that's yeah. that's your biggest red flag okay well then science is bullshit i'm sorry because what you're saying is not just incorrect it's uh, demonic and anti-human and abusive and you, it needs to be the the ideology needs to be completely rejected wholesale and we all need to be protected from it adults children all of us but especially the children um, yes. I am a little bit conscious of time I, I, I probably need to feed my son dinner but I want to ask you one more question yeah um, so in the beginning uh, of our chat, you mentioned that your dad um, was gay, and yep. and I know that in your in the podcast with Isabella, you talked about how how you found him when you were an adult and you had a relationship with him. Do you still have a relationship with him? Are you in touch with him? Um, yes, we we still have a relationship. I would say that um, it's mutually strained at this okay. point. I think that. Uh, I've learned throughout the process of, of speaking my truth, how, how deeply and, and unconsciously politicized he was in his mm -hmm. pursuit of uh, technological fatherhood. And, um, you know, very, of, of all the people in my life, uh, he has uh, not watched or commented upon uh, my interview with Isabella. And if he did watch and, and that interview, um, I'd imagine that he is horrified to think that his 
child has um, essentially in, indicted him for enabling the uh, soft suicide of his other child through literal emulation of him and his relationship. So, um, I will... Yeah, that would be a hard thing to hear. (laughs) Yes. um, I will always have a soft spot in my heart for my father and for his partner. And I... um, I respect and love them very much, but I... I really haven't forgiven them for enabling my sister to transition. Um, I haven't forgiven them for uh, distancing themselves from me because I did, I, I, you know, I wasn't a rainbow child of theirs. I so desperately wanted to be politically gay for my liberal family. And the truth of the matter is, is that even before I put all the pieces together on the, the horror of my traumatic experience, they already started distancing themselves from me when I was in a uh, healthy and stable heterosexual relationship with my now husband. So um, I think that they, um, I think that they've rejected me for coming out against their their lifestyle and for, um, and and in this respect, I mean the decide the decision to procreate while not being an actual father. Um, Mm-hmm. I I recently had dinner yeah. with my mom and uh, a friend of ours who is a, a heterosexual man, and uh, his wife asked me how how I felt um, growing up, and my response to her question was, well, you know, even though I had all this love in my life, as soon as I met my father, um, I felt really conflicted. I felt extremely angry. Um, my immediate reaction to meeting my father was, was the rage of having to explain myself to my father. And this, you know, you know, well-meaning, uh, socially conservative white guy, he's like, yeah, of course, he's a deadbeat dad. And I'm like, yeah. And yeah. my the cognitive dissonance it required of me to, uh, to idolize him for for choosing to be a father in this manner by essentially like prostituting his genes to the highest bidder in this framework of uh, enabling uh, lesbians to reproduce. Um, 
Right. It's it's that the political part of that was wayward from the start. Right. Absolutely. And I, mean, I that's very interesting. I'm the collateral damage. My my life experience is the collateral damage of that. I talk with my my husband about the experience of um you know, I I hit the ground running with one leg. And that one leg was the love of my mother. But I was missing a limb to stand on because I never had a father to protect me from other men. And I don't think I, I will actually ever forgive my father for, for failing to actually be my father. It's extremely painful to, to, to fantasize that he was ever my father. That is so powerful. Like that is a, that is such a, that's a very powerful um, thing to say. You know, there was one other thing that we didn't talk about actually, which is this, this the, the authenticity of the identity. And you, yes. you were talking, this is, this is actually related. So, so that, that sort of, did, did you long for him as a child or did you just not really think about it? Did you, you know, long I for was, a father figure? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, um, and, and one of the, one of the things you, by my peers. Right, sure. Right. Yeah. Um, one of the things you talked about with Isabella was um, the, that, that you, you thought you were cool enough to be a gay man, which I, again, is a great turn of phrase. I'm par- maybe I'm paraphrasing, getting it wrong slightly, but um, because I, I think, and yes. correct me if I'm wrong, but is it, you know, the sort of the, the, the gay identity, the gay male identity, I don't think this applies to women actually, but the gay male identity, especially to girls, is extremely fun and like it's it draws you in there's something magnetizing about it and you know when i was young i had tons of gay friends and um you know it's it's it it feels like a great it just it just it's a it's a it's a it's a very welcome part of a woman's life at least in my experience when i was young um and you longed for that identity now I did say something that I'm very interested in because I don't really have a one. I, I'm a third culture kid, as some someone wrote a book called this. Uh, uh, children who grow up in in countries that are not theirs, not immigrant kids, not that's not a, the same, but sort of like expat, you know, families yes. that move for job or lifestyle reasons. My parents move for lifestyle reasons, um, and my parents are actually two different nationalities anyway. So I kind of grew up uh, neither fish nor fowl. Um, yeah. And I became used to that very young. But what I found when I went to America, when I returned to America as an adult after having lived in Ireland, Northern Ireland, and Italy, is that um, my odd, I, my oddness identity gave me huge social capital. Huge. Yeah. Like yeah. massive so- social capital when I was in my early 20s and I, I moved back to, to New York, moved back to Brooklyn and was hanging out in all these like sort of intellectual bars. And I was like the test of the town, like people just thought I was so interesting and I really dined out on it for a long time. Um, yeah. So do you, I mean, how much is this American longing for, for an interesting, authentic uh, identity 
how much is that of that is playing into the trans thing in your opinion? Yeah, I think that um, as a mimic, uh, as as someone who who coped with my feeling of alienation by copying people in my life that um, you know and copying people that were queer I think at the heart of the authenticity issue which leads into transhumanism is the mentality of a hungry ghost um I from a very young age felt uh, aware of this true emptiness and lack of uh, rooting. Um, this, and within Western civilization, I think this is a very, it's, it's a rationalist pit trap specifically because of the I think therefore I am and whatever I think is uh, is what I am and thinking right. is separate from being so as a uh, as someone who grew up in Western civilization my brain has always been this hungry ghost uh this uh that at best uh kind of creates a uh i think americans practice identity the way that uh hermit crabs do they they grab <laughs> products around them and uh they create a shell of brands and experiences and uh, yes. tribal affiliations. They, they wear this ossified uh, Frankenstein-esque uh, because it's so, you know, you're taking dismembered parts of different ideas and different cultures and you're wearing it as this yeah. shell but on the inside you're this deeply vulnerable organism this deeply yeah. vulnerable organism that feels and knows to its core that as soon as it's naked it can be devoured instantaneously so going back to how um i felt like a gay man trapped in a woman's body um i felt that way because i i couldn't accept i couldn't accept completely that i was the pornified version of woman that was fed to me so I truly believed, um, when I believed that I was a gay man trapped in a woman's body, I did so purely based on main character syndrome. I, I wanted so badly to be the main character in my own life 
instead of this weird sexual object that I was taught my body made me. So my, my solution to that was, okay, and, and this is where um, trans gets so inherently regressive because all of a sudden women are men because we wear pants and Carhartt jackets. Right. The, the ease with right. which I was able to pass as a man just because I hid my tits um, is, is, is disturbing. I, and I think at the heart of the West is our, is a Cartesian hungry ghost that alienates us from our bodies. And this fundamentally makes us more susceptible than any other people on earth to the violent, sadistic, masochistic propaganda that is pornography. Mm -hmm. That is wow. our postmodern understanding of moral relativism. Um, yeah. We are so profoundly lost as a civilization yeah. and hungry. Yeah. Totally. I, I feel like <clears throat> um, society is essentially dividing itself up and, and I'm going to use the ter this term, but it's not, it's pro there's probably a better one out there, but it's the only one I can think of, but it, it, to describe it, the, it's dividing itself up between the organic people and the machine people. And one of the things that, in addition to this, um, my, my upbringing before the internet and my odd life experience where I was traveling around a lot and I was always outside the mainstream, my very sort of bohemian family, no fucks given kind of thing. Um, th those things definitely inoculated me against woke uh, ideology. But one of the big, uh, even more than that, I think is that I am just strongly uh, affiliated. I have a strong affinity and a strong desire to be with the organic people. And yeah. I'm, by that, I mean like, I love old places. I love old shit. I love living in Europe because it's old. And yes. there's, you know, churches that have been around for a thousand years. And I find that soothing on my soul, in my soul in a yes. way that I actually find hard to verbalize. And I, so it's just a very strong attachment that hasn't been programmed out of me. It hasn't been messed with. It's yes. still there. And it gives me this just clear vision in this regard anyway of like, okay, these things need to be preserved and saved and not yes. destroyed. And anything that is machine or plastic or, you know, silicon or digital or whatever, uh, I've, you know, I'm not, I'm not drawn to it. I'm just not. Yes. Um, and I, I think that so much of what you say is so strongly resonant with that, which is why I reacted so strongly to your podcast. I sent it to a bunch of people and I was like, this is honestly one of the most fascinating conversations I've ever heard. Um, so yeah, I think, I mean, do you know what I mean? Like, it, I, I'm sure there's a better word than organic, but essentially, I mean, of, 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 well, the, of the earth. Right. I, I, I think by, by organic, you, you invoke the same concept of, of rootedness, yes. right? And what, 
what being rooted and grounded requires is embodiment. And throughout Europe, uh, right. because I've, I've traveled there somewhat extensively as a younger person, um, what, what is inherent in the structures of Europe is the blood, sweat, and tears and vision of working of the working people of Europe. And this is, yeah. this is true all over the world where people are still connected to their histories. I think that I yeah. was, as a Californian, um, you know, California is, and the United States more broadly, but especially the West, is, is new age to the core, um, is uh, constantly accelerating its... Uh, it's repackaging and it's, uh, you know, it's like, I come from the land of, of boxes and strip malls and it matters. Um, it does I, matter, doesn't it? I needed to move to Northern California, um, to experience the, the best, the next best thing from history in culture is history and nature. So, you know, mm -hmm. now I live around old growth trees that remind me of um, the shared history of nature and mankind up here. And, and it's a very economically depressed area that is in desperate need wow. of an infrastructural uh, renaissance, but there's, there's no impetus here. There's no money here. There's no inspiration here to accomplish that because um, the the reality of poverty in this region is is keeping people trapped in a cycle of uh, prostitution, drug abuse. Uh, Humboldt County, where I live, is, uh, I, I believe, um, one of the top welfare fraud and welfare claim wow. recipients in the United States. Um, it uh, has seen the coming and going and crashing of many major industries from uh, from lumber to fisheries to... Uh, cannabis, um, you know, really, mm -hmm. really economically impoverished area, uh, still maintains a, a substantial uh, presence of tribes that were able to survive uh, wow. the, the genocide of colonization. And across the board, there are these, you know, cries for meaning. Um, this, you know, the the murder of indigenous women in this I, Humboldt County also has the uh, most missing persons in the United States, wow. um, and it's because wow. the the forests will will eat the bodies alive, you know, and and it's primarily. I mean, the major victims of uh, 
trafficking and, and murder and all uh, out are uh, there's a high representation of indigenous women um, uh, you know for their population the percentage of people that are indigenous women that have gone missing it's it's ongoing yes. genocide it's ongoing right. colonization and um you know just like uh, when ev everyone is affected by it uh even if right. you are the uh you know wealthy child of a university professor living in the best area here there's there's no escaping the the ongoing trauma of colonization and i think a a a really sad part of the of trans ideology and why mm -hmm. it's primarily a white issue um, why, you know, most people who are transitioning are white people. Um, I, I think people who transition, especially if sterilization is involved, are, are really motivated by white guilt. Uh, I know yeah. I was motivated by white guilt. I, I truly believed, you know, when I was going into my surgery to get sterilized, I was like, wow, one less white devil on the landscape or like, you know, five less white devils on the landscape with my, um, uh, with my, uh, and I, I really believed I was ending an evil line in my family. I had, I had cursed oh my, my family as a line of evil, hungry ghosts. And it was me and with with the help of trans ideology i was taking arms against the colonizers my colonizing nature through sterilization maybe just maybe one less white devil having children would mean um you know a better society for uh colonized people all over the world. I really, really believe yeah. that. And, and here's, here's the kicker. Um, what, which really broke my heart, but also, um, I think is a concept that should, should strike all people and all women. Um, there, Eugenics is inescapable. Uh, governments are interested in controlling the populations of their people. Mm -hmm. um, this is a sinister enterprise which people should be wary of. But my, so I was raised by Chinese immigrants in addition to my mom they you know mm -hmm. really were and are half of half of my family my natal family unit um recently uh just this year 
my uh, Chinese mom, you know, she, she, I was visiting her for my birthday and, uh, you know, I, I, I wake up and she's making me coffee and she, and she grabs my arm uh, gently and, and she, she, she looks me in the eyes and she says, um, you know, Lee, I, I think you may not, you may not like this, what I'm about to say to you, but, uh, I'm going to say it anyway, because I love you. Um, and what she said to me was, Lee, I want you to think about having children. I want you to consider having children. And I want you to have children because I know you are such a good person and you have such a loving heart. And there are so many hurt and, and hurtful people in the world. There, there, there seems to be so much evil. The evil is so loud. And what hope do we have if good people don't have families? And I told her, I told her with all the grace in my heart, thank you for believing in me as a mother. And I didn't tell her wow. that I had gotten sterilized. I said, I will he think didn't. about it. E, I'll think about it forever. And I will. And That's so really as someone who has, uh, who has pursued sterilization from white guilt and from really believing that I was a white devil and all of my seeds would be white devils, being, being told by my Chinese mom that she hopes for me that I, I raise good people because the next generation needs it. That, um, I'll never forget that. And I'm here trying to tell women, especially women that feel they're too traumatized to have families, which is how I felt, that um, if you have love in your heart, if you are, if you are ruled by love for humanity, the only way to combat Malthusianism is, is to raise good people, is, yeah. is to center 100%. families, is to protect families. It's the, I 100% agree with that. Right. Wow, so that's incredibly, I'm between positive eugenics and negative eugenics. The Malthusians okay. are pursuing negative uh, eugenics. The the sterilization and getting rid of undesirables in the gene pool is negative eugenics. Positive eugenics is something that every civilization can get behind ethically because it's literally just a, a flourishing of human strength intergenerationally and positive eugenics, a making a better world will never happen without protecting women 
and without protecting families. And that's what I speak up for. That's what I advocate for. Protect women, protect families, make children value the innocence of children, teach them to have love in their hearts, and this world will become incrementally a better place. I wholeheartedly agree. Uh, you are honestly, uh, I've, I've, I listen to so many people talk about so many subjects. I think you're up there, the most interesting, if not very close to all of these, all of these very big names, uh, you know, people that have gotten very famous in a, throughout this cultural crisis. And everything you say is as smart or as interesting or more so than any of them. So thank you so much for your time. Um, thank you we are too. allies. <laughs> We are Absolutely. allies in as, in as much as we can do anything at all. I think, um, yeah, uh, speaking, writing, uh, communicating in general is just really the only solution to this. And uh, yeah. I share your fear that it might be too late, but I choose not to believe that. <laughs> um, yes. So it I'm going to hit stop on the record. Yeah, exactly. It absolutely matters what you believe. Um, I'm going to hit stop on, rec- on the record. And is there anything you want? Is there anywhere people should follow you? Um, any Anything like that? Yeah, um, I, I go my, by my full name on Instagram, uh, Lee Janet Marshall. Um, you can also find me on Facebook, uh, Instagram, Lee Janet MS. Uh, oh, sorry, uh, Twitter, Lee Janet MS. Twitter. And, um, yeah, I, I love having conversations with all kinds of people. Um, if anything that I said resonates with you that you want to discuss further, uh, feel free to... It all does. Uh, <laughs> yeah, feel free to drop into my DMs. Uh, met Jenny. I, I absolutely will. Message. So, um, yeah, I all love to humanity and um, I'm here to support all us people fighting the good fight for human dignity. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Really, really, really good chat. Thank you.